Chris? I'm okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, hey, this is uh, Tyler Wynn with the winning team. This is the Changing the Game Through Real Estate Podcast. Today we had the opportunity to talk to uh, Sally, and she's gonna she's an out of state real estate investor, and she's gonna share her story on how she got started in real estate and kind of like how she created her team and where she's uh, what she's going for in the future. Okay, so can okay. you kind of just like tell us like your backstory, kind of how you got started in real estate and everything like that? Sure. Thanks for having me. So just as context, I'm in the Bay Area in California, and I do all my investing out of state in Cincinnati, Ohio. So I started last about last March looking for my first property, and it was um, my senior year of college, and it was the very beginning of the pandemic. And so I work in the commercial real estate world, and it kind of died down as did the entire world, and I had time to refocus my efforts on something else. And I chose real estate investing. So what better time to redirect focus and priorities and think about passive income than than the pandemic. So I bought my first property shortly after in July of 2020. And since then, I've uh, bought 2023. So I oh, wow. flip single families and I, I burr multifamily. So I'm that's what I've been doing for the past year and a half. Okay. So you uh, you said you were in the commercial real estate. Uh, so you kind of had a background with uh, real estate or what do, you, what do you do for commercial real estate? A little bit. Yeah. So I am in office leasing primarily. So it's a different asset class, but it's still definitely in real estate. So it helped me get a little bit more comfortable with lingo, talking about cap rates, especially when you get into a larger multifamily I think I could talk to a lot of brokers because I'm a broker and so kind of speak the broker lingo a little bit better. It's um, I used to do a lot of, of account management. I guess I still do a lot of account management, and that has to do with um, managing portfolios all over the world. And so the out-of-state investing models, a little bit similar to that where you're relying on experts in other markets to feed you market information and run your deals while sitting in California. So it's a little bit of transferable skills there. Oh, wow. So why, why Cincinnati? What made you say like, Hey, I'm in San Diego. Like, Hey, Cincinnati. Like, yeah, I was going to say, have you been to Cincinnati or did you just pick it? (laughs) I had been once. And so (laughs) I, I was doing some work for my, for my commercial real estate job. So I was bringing a client over to Cincinnati and, um, just, through that, it was a pretty big deal. So it was a ground up development. So I toured with all all of the big developers in Cincinnati and kind of was sold from them on the economy and what was going on and all the revitalization. I was able to meet one of the local investors there as well, who jumped on a Zoom call with me and showed me the market. And so that was the best orientation I've had in, in any market and said, might as well jump in there where the prices are good and I've got some market orientation and I didn't really have any competitive advantage elsewhere. Okay. So uh, what, what were the uh, numbers that you really enticed you to go over there? Like what, what were you looking for? A hundred thousand dollar purchase prices. So, I mean, I was, I was in college when I was started looking. And so I had just like my savings account from working through college. And so I had like maybe $40,000 in my bank account. And so had $20,000 I was willing to spend on a down payment. 
So I needed something that was low priced and that kind of met the met the criteria bucket. And then also the price to rent ratios are pretty high over there. And so you can easily meet the 1% rule, if not more. And so for me, like where, so I'm a, a 100% commission-based broker. And so passive income and cash flow is a little bit more important to me uh, just because I rely on, on I need like consistent income yeah, between commission checks. And so having having that cash flow is really important for me when picking a market. Huh. So so after you talk to him, that person you talked to, did they already have a team established? Just like, hey, just use my team, or like how do you go about like fine? not really. So I mean I think contractors are really few and far between out there. And so it's kind of like, well, I have my contractor who works on my stuff, but and, and so he used his contractor to kind of walk through my first property for me because I bought it sight unseen basically off of Zillow. So I, I basically said, like, please, can you please go walk through it with one of your contractors? And he did. Um, he referred me to an agent and through there just kept on going through the referral network of asking other people for introductions. Nice. Oh, wow. So how terrifying was that? <laughs> it seems like 10 years ago honestly um <laughs> i was very terrified uh, it was all my eggs in one basket it was like my whole life savings into one house even though i look back and it's like it's 20 grand which i guess is a lot of money but if i were to risk it all it might as well be while i'm 23 and not yeah. later down the line um so it was, it was very scary, especially not walking the property beforehand. But I think it's really funny because I have walked properties prior to buying now. And I think that not seeing it in person is actually less scary than seeing it in person because you, <laughs> you get overwhelmed by how many things there are to fix. And you're like, oh, well, it must be so expensive to fix this and that and this. And my level of perfection is probably a lot higher than renter's level of perfection. So honestly, like sitting over here looking through pictures probably kind of hit a lot of the the scariest stuff from me before I bought it. I didn't know what I was jumping into. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> Yeah, I couldn't imagine trying to like buy something, having seen it. You're just saying like, ah, oh, just got to completely trust this person that they're not just screwing you over that. I mean, that's probably the a good thing. I just never went through analysis paralysis because I think when people research too much, they yeah. they know too much and they're overeducated and know everything that could happen wrong. But me having starting to research in March and put an offer in in May and June and went under contract in June, it was so fast. I didn't even have a chance to sit and think like, well, what if I lost it all? Yeah, Yeah, that's true. And so was that just a single family one that you intended to rent or was that your? Yeah, so I actually still, I still have it. I still actually self-manage it because it's been so easy to self-manage, but it's just a single family. I bird it. So I bought it for a hundred. I actually got a um, 0% APR credit card to pay for the renovation. And then about, I think, $12,000 on it, on the renovation. And then I refinanced it for $155,000 after repair value six months later. So I left mm-hmm. about $7,000 in the deal mm-hmm. and it cash flows um, just over, I think it's like 500 bucks a month, which is pretty so, good. So when you say cash flow, are you taking uh, like just the, the gross rent minus the mortgage? Are you taking in like- Reserves as well. Or everything? Everything. Okay. So besides property management, just because I 
I property manage myself, but that's after the 5% CapEx, 5% repairs and maintenance, 5% vacancy, and then the principal interest taxes and insurance. Nice. Oh, wow. Awesome. So, so you referred to a couple of minutes ago, the 1% and 2% rule. Can you explain to people what that is if they don't, uh, don't listen to bigger pockets and not really sure what the 1% or 2% rule is? Sure. I think it's formally called the price to price to rent ratio. And so it's the price of the property. So if you bought something for $200,000 and then divided that by the rent, so if it's 1%, it would be $2,000. And so that's just a good indication of cash flow. If you want to do a, a quick sniff test of a deal, and that's a generally good way to like back of the, back of the napkin sniff test um, to yeah. see if it w- might cash flow. Hmm. So, uh, I guess for like, even for relating to uh, you, to us, the hardest thing for us is like to take out, like, uh, take a step back from like trying to go to the property every single time. Do you just like find, how did you find the, I guess you reached out and you said to found the contractor through a work that the other person, like, how'd you find that contractor that you rely on so much? So the first contractor I've actually fired many contractors, but that first contractor I found on Bigger Pockets. He was also my property manager, and there was some just systems things that were going on with the company that weren't up to what I expected, and so had to go find another contractor. The next contractor moved to Guatemala unexpectedly. Uh-huh. His replacement didn't speak English, and so unfortunately couldn't really work with him very well. Yeah, and so. I've actually gone through quite a few contractors and that's honestly been one of the biggest learning experiences is step one is buy the deal, but that's really just the tip of the iceberg and managing renovations and property management and all the systems that goes into that is really the rest of the iceberg that isn't probably as sexy as buying the deal. So, so how uh, do you just do trial for trial and error, trying to figure out what property manager works best? Because it's like for me, like I I know everyone here, so I feel like it's easier. But like for me going to like a new market, I was like, I mean, I don't know any of these people. I don't know if I can trust them, like because it's like a kind yeah. of a fear. How do you say, hey, this is a good property manager? This isn't good property manager. I'm gonna go with this person. I mean, there's a variety of of questions that you can probably ask them, but part of Part of the, I guess, benefit of investing out of state is you're forced to just give up control. Yeah. And I think a lot of people who invest locally have a really hard time giving up control. But if you just had no option, you, you'd you have no option. Like you're just forced yeah. to trust people and rely on people and build systems and checks and balances that keep people in place. I mean, obviously, I've I've went through, I've gone through a lot of contractors and a good amount of property managers, and I've talked to a lot of agents and it's not... I wish it were easy as like you pick one person and, and they're your, your dream team. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's part of investing out of state is just expecting that sometimes your team members aren't going to be the dream team at first and, and trying them out on each project until you do find that dream team. So it's not about the first deal or the second deal. It's about the 10th and the 11th and the 12th. Nice. Do you um, have a particular agent that you stick with that looks for these deals for you or do you kind of... I actually have a few. So I liked on flip specifically, I like to use the agent who brings me the deal. And so if they bring me the deal, they make less on the acquisition, but they'll they'll know that they make a good amount on the disposition. So selling the property. 
Also, it's nice to have an agent who does both so they can check on the property maybe halfway in between to just to make sure that the progress is going well. So that's another thing you can do with checks and balances is make sure to have independent people who are separate from your general contractor or your subcontractors to go ahead and check in on your projects, make sure things are actually happening. That was one of my my big lessons as well is, is trusting contractors too much to say that they were doing what they were doing. And being out of state, you just like to think that people are good people. But I think that a lot of contractors, some contractors tend to take advantage of that and maybe do a little bit less good work um, because no one's there like nitpicking every day. And so um, one thing I did was hire a project manager to go check on projects every week. And so that's been really helpful, especially for quality control. All right. Um, you have any, like, yeah, I was going to say, so you mentioned your first one was kind of more like you're all in from your life savings that you had. How for the other ones, did you use that burst strategy and just keep rolling it? Or did you eventually bring on investors or kind of? Yeah. So I brought my next two properties in December of that same year. So it was about, I think, five months after the first one. And it was a triplex and my first flip. And so the triplex was bought with a little bit more of my savings that I had left over since I used a credit card for the renovation. And then the other portion was actually private money. So that was my first experience with private money from a family member. And so that one, actually, I did not burr but it does cash flow a lot of money. And so at the moment I don't need to, I don't need to bother with refinancing. Um, but the third one was, was the flip and that was bought with, with hard money. So I brought, I think I brought 3,500 bucks to the closing table. And so basically nothing. And then that one closed in June, I think June of this year. So that was the first full successful flip. Okay. Oh, okay. Nice. And how many um, rentals do you have right now? So 19 rental rental units. And Unit. so that's comprised of a single family, a triplex, a five unit, and a 10 unit. Awesome. Oh, wow. Very cool. Is it, are you, is it just you or do you have a partner also? So p- part of them are just mine. The first four are mine. Then the rest of them are with a partner. And so that was, those were the two things, private money and partner, just one partner who that really, I guess, catapulted my investing is having someone to infuse capital into the project because I obviously didn't have any money after the first one or the second one. And then also someone to take half of the responsibilities because managing right now, a month ago, I had like um, 17 units under construction or something. And it's an insane amount to be to be managing as well as like trying to optimize processes as well as having a full-time job. And so to have someone to handle acquisitions. And so I do all the operations and renovations and he does all of the acquisitions. It's nice to have, to have someone handling that. Yeah. Yeah. I could imagine. For sure. Cause I was watching you, uh, you on your Instagram page, you were talking about like, Oh, I just uh, bird this whole property. And I never even saw it. I was like, I was like, how she did, uh, how did that? Cause I don't know. I don't know if like I could do that without actually seeing it whatsoever. Cause that's, that's a lot of trust into, I guess your team, but I don't know. So I guess now that you've like 
establish Cincinnati as like your area, you have your team there and everything. Is that the only area that you've invested in so far? Um, right now, yes. I think okay. with the amount of effort it took to get a good a good team and it's still For an sure. evolving team at the moment, I would right at this current moment, I think it'd be very exhausting to try to do it again in different yeah. markets. Yeah. But eventually I think that so this is more of a cash flow play and after Next year, my goal is to flip one a month and then hit 50 units. And I think after that's after that's figured out, then hopefully expand to a, an appreciating market. So you said the, um, a 50 unit, are you just trying to get 50 units total or like? like units total, yeah. Okay. So that'd probably be, I think it's like 30, 30. I have one closing next week. So you don't sound like you're that far. <laughs> yeah. um, a little bit far. So the four, four of the 23 are flips and then 19 are the buy and holds and then two close next week. So it'll be like 20, 21 this year and there's like quite a bit more to go next year. Well, hey, I think 21 in a new year is pretty damn good in my opinion. So good job. <laughs> So when you uh, when these agents bring you a deal, do you have one specific criteria or like, hey, I want to do this amount of flips, I want to do this amount of birds, I want to do this amount of buy and holds, or is it just kind of depending on the deal itself? Whatever finds you. For, for flips, definitely have a criteria. So I like to stay in a specific neighborhood and then I like to – or just a set of neighborhoods that are – lower price and I like to be in the entry level home buyer market instead of those higher end flips just because I find it to be good good for limiting risk. And so usually the purchase price is somewhere between seventy five and one hundred and fifty thousand dollars and the renovation is somewhere between thirty and eighty thousand dollars, usually more around seventy thousand dollars. And so all in for somewhere around one hundred and seventy five thousand dollars or so. And that usually will have an ARV of somewhere between two fifty and 300, which is a, a pretty um, attainable number for a lot of families out there in Cincinnati and um, try to stay away from the flips that are more on the high end of the market, like the 500, $600,000, $700,000 houses. Interesting. Good strategy. Um, I guess, uh, so for someone who's just getting started and everything like that, what would be your best piece of advice for someone who is in an expensive market and, hey, I want to go invest in somewhere like Cincinnati or something like that would be your best piece of advice. Yeah, probably find a local investor who does invest in Cincinnati and just try to ask them questions about where exactly in the market they are investing or if they can, if they can give any contacts or have any recommendations for where they can get more educated on the market. I think it's sometimes kind of a fine line about asking too much without giving anything because I know a lot yeah. of people tend to just ask, 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 ask questions. And so just understanding and respecting people's time, um, but also finding people who do invest. I think real estate agents are also a great source of information. And so if you can find an investor agent who's knowledgeable and who has investments themselves and can walk you through the market, that's a good way to go as well, especially if you use them to buy a deal, then they're going to be compensated for their time. Nice. That's fine. So we've uh, talked to you about a lot of the kind of excess you've had in out-of-state investing. Uh, have you made any mistakes that that are kind of like, I don't know, that are very important? Uh, that you, like cringe-worthy yeah. lessons that you've learned? <laughs> uh, where do I start? Uh, this <laughs> a lot. Um, most recently, it's been, well, one I learned a while ago is, is trusting agents 
ARVs, so after repair values. So when you're either flipping or you're burring and you're going to refinance and you're estimating what your ARVs are going to be, I think a lot of agents give they give estimates for that number. And if you don't verify them yourselves, you can get into a pickle. And so that's something that I learned um, the hard way on a deal. Yeah. And so now I make sure to to verify whenever agents send me over numbers or even when property managers send me over numbers, there's a lot of public information on Zillow, on Redfin, on websites like Rentometer, on Bigger Pockets Insights, things like that, where you can do your own research and then compare numbers with whoever gave you the information. So that's one. Um, another one is probably not having a clear scope of work from the very beginning of a project. And so kind of just saying like, replace the lights. And it's like, what light? What do you want to replace it with? How many do you want to get replaced? And then not being um, not being satisfied with the result of the renovation, but it being because I never specified in the beginning what actually I wanted done. And so that's been a big lesson recently for me. Hmm, wow. So when you buy these properties, like sight and scene, flip them, um, do you end up, do you go see them all at some point, like to verify everything or do you just trust the team you put in place and they take care of it for you um, and just check in and get updates? I'm trying to think of, I mean, I think at this point, I've seen all of them at one point in the cycle, but I don't fly out specifically to check on them. So I have happened to be there and stopped in just to see what it looked like more so because I'm just curious. Um, but I don't really check in on the progress in person. So I really do trust that that they are doing their job. And it's it's helpful when there's people who are invested in the project to go check it on, check on it. So if it's a rental, not a property manager, check in and be like, well, if it stays in this condition, we're going to have a hard time renting it out. And then they're invested because they make money off of rental rates or just the rent income. And so if they can't rent it out, they're not making money. Same with the flipping. If an agent comes in or a stager comes in um, or that type of person who is actually has like monetary investment in the project to get to have it done and finished the right way, then they're going to be more invested in in giving you the honest feedback that you need to get the job done. True. Very true. So what was your what was your best deal? What what's one that made you the, like the most the most money? Like the one that you wish you could do every time? Um well I just started recently. So there's a lot of the ones that are that are in process um that I assume will be great deals, but I don't want to promise they're good deals because they're not done yet. <laughs> My first deal was honestly a great deal. If that was still my strategy, I would I would want that deal over and over again. But I moved away from single family first because it was going to take too long to get to my my passive income goals. And so I moved into multifamily, which are a little bit of a big beast. <laughs> but if I but if I if I were to still like the single family model, I think I'd do the my first deal over and over again because that five hundred bucks of cash flow is pretty sweet. Yeah, yeah that's true. Because even like a lot of uh, like, we'll say for instance, and uh, over here in Virginia, like it, most of the time when you like cash flow, it's usually just like the the gross rent minus the mortgage because you can't get like the one percent and everything. <laughs> it's really cool that that's why it's so yeah. great to talk to you about other 
like other markets where you can actually get the one percent rule and two percent rule because a lot of a lot of markets you can't find that. Yeah, I think the trade-off is probably appreciation. It's, yeah, I mean, the Midwest true. is full of one percent markets, like Indianapolis, probably Detroit, probably, but they're not like places where people are flocking to move to, and so you're not going to get that appreciation gain over time, but you will get cash flow. So it's it's a trade-off to just to be aware of. Yeah. Do you check like like um like the population to see how many people are coming to Cincinnati? Because uh, if you're investing long term, do you ever like take that into account that hey, is the city getting smaller or like jobs? I do look. Right? Yeah, I do. I think I also pay attention to companies who are coming and leaving Cincinnati. And so if there are jobs, there will be people. And so if companies are investing a lot of money in the area, odds are that me as a little investor in the area can also invest my money. And so when you're over there, there's huge cranes, there's big buildings, there's more companies moving there, more jobs. And so if they're going to spend $100 million on a building, I feel more comfortable spending 100000 That's a good point. So what's uh what's your I guess your goal is to become financially free like would you, you would your goal be like to eventually quit your job as the uh commercial um, uh commercial real estate cuz you're com- commercial like leasing right I forgot yeah, yeah, commercial that's leasing right. broker Is that um, your goal yeah. to quit that I mean I don't think I'll ever particularly stop working I think it's to get a steady base of passive income so that I can focus my time however I want to focus my time and spend it and not have anyone. And I don't have to have to work for just because I have to, it's more of a choice and I get to direct my time where I want to direct it. So that's ultimate goal. Do you have a goal set for after you hit your 50 units? So I really want to. (laughs) What's yours? (laughs) Yeah. I want to open like a, I would love to build like a health retreat some sort of like yoga health retreat um, or do some type of like boutique hotel that's more creative and building a brand more yeah. so than just building like cut and paste rentals. Cause that's sort of how the, the flip business and the rental business have all been, are all getting to be very systematized. And so it's cut and paste cookie cutter units um, go through the process. It's not as creative as I'd like it to be. And so to do something like Airbnbs or boutique hotels where it's really about the experience, I'd like to focus on that after getting a steady base of cash flow. Yeah. Something like truly push you and use all your talents that God's blessed you with. Yeah. No, I think that's just to to use my creative brain more so. I think investing is is it's both for sure, but it, to run it like a machine kind of using more of the analytical brain, yeah, systems brain. That's true. And so to not have to necessarily make a killing off of the creative projects and to do it to create experiences for people would, I think would be really cool. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Cause I would assume like the very beginning of like the house flipping and all of that, you get to use the creativity, but to your point, when you have the numbers grow, you need it more systematized. So. Yep. You can't do 12 in a year. Goes away. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, my first one, I, I picked everything. My second one, I picked everything. It was so time consuming, but yeah. oh, if yeah. you're trying to flip one a month and you're flipping six at a time and trying to pick designs for six at a time, is just not really feasible. And so to pick, just make like a standard finish list and run it through a process is sort of the goal at the moment. 
Yeah. Well, and I would assume it's more cost effective too, because if you're doing that many years, you could buy in bulk pretty much and just keep using it. It's a lot easier for contractors too to just say cut and paste than to tell them you want custom designs and paint colors and everything. That's true. Yeah. Put the wrong backsplash in the wrong house. That could be bad. Yep. Very cool. Well, I mean, I think you've answered the majority of my questions when it comes to uh, long distance uh, real estate investing. I think that the main thing is just they have a right team, it sounds like. They have the yeah. right team in place and, and uh, go for it. That's yeah, yeah. <laughs> and just don't be afraid to fail because it's not really failure. It's just it's just learning experience. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What's your favorite thing about b- between your managing your properties? Like, do you enjoy the managing? Um, rentals more than the flipping or vice versa? Um, I think I enjoy the flipping a little bit more because there's a little bit more creativity involved. So I do, I I do like also working, working with a project manager and sort of being, I guess, a a boss of sorts. I think it's, it's kind of cool to have the responsibility of thinking about how someone can contribute more and how they can feel more fulfilled in their, in their position. And so yeah. I I would love I love I've had that experience in my job where people kind of plan and and think of how I can enjoy my experience more. So to be able to do that for someone else is pretty cool too. That's awesome. Right. Yeah, I think it's crazy that like you've just started for a year and a half and you've gotten to what you've done so far. I mean, that's a lot in a year. Yeah, not to mention you're like fresh out of college. And- <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, super impressive. A pandemic grad. Yeah. 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 And not really even worrying about the money, more or less just found a way to make it work. I mean, that's pretty, that's truly impressive. So, yeah, there's a lot of money out there. I think that people just don't realize how much is floating around, but you can prove that you work hard and you're trustworthy. I think that, and you can analyze good deals. I think everyone's looking to put their money, a lot of people are looking to put their money to work for them. Right. And so if you can show that you're responsible with people's money and can provide them with a return, it's um, it's honestly like you just attract it. So I think it's pretty cool to raise private money. So how did your uh, investor find you? Did he just like find you on social media or how did they, uh, your private, private money? Yes. Um, so I've raised a lot of private money. About half of it has been from Instagram. So just people finding me on Instagram. And then the other half has just been family and friends and telling them what I do and them wanting to put their money places. Gotcha. So how do you how do you structure that when you do like a uh, a partnership? Do you do like, like make an LLC together or how do you structure that for your deals? No. So they're just debt. They don't get any equity. So they got a flat return. And in return, they either get a promissory note, like a personal guarantee, or they get a mortgage on the property. Oh, okay. Yeah. No equity, just debt. Oh, okay. And is that like a, is that for 30 years or 20 years or? No, it's usually for about nine months on the flips. And so people have nine month terms and usually they're paid back around six months when the flip finishes and and they can choose whether or not they can roll their money back into the next deal. So every deal you look for, you look for like something like value add that you can add something like distress. Okay. Yep. Eventually down the line, maybe I think it's a pretty time intensive process. And so if I stack up enough money where I can just buy turnkey deals that cash flow, maybe 
Um, but at the at the moment, the value adds are the best way to scale fast. All right, guys. Okay. Well, all right. Uh, I really appreciate. Actually, um, where is the best place for people to find you uh, more about you? You mentioned your Instagram. Yeah, probably Instagram. So it's it's at lattes.in.lisas. Okay. Is that is that is that? The I have answer? to ask. What's your coffee order? <laughs> Um, it's an oat milk latte at the moment. Okay. I used to be a barista. I was a barista for five years. And so that's kind of where the username came from before no one followed me, but my mom. We're <laughs> 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 just stuck. And so I haven't changed it yet. <laughs> I was going to say, I like it. You should keep it. <laughs> hey, hey, go the uh, McDonald's route and start like, um, and make like a coffee shop and then start buying real estate using it that way. Yeah, yeah. One of my other fun projects would be definitely a, a little coffee shop. Yeah. Very cool. But uh, I appreciate uh, you having you on here and just come in and telling us like your story. And I, I feel like I've learned a lot. Yeah, it's really impressive. You've done a lot in a really small amount of time on top of a pandemic. So yeah. <laughs> good for you. Well, thanks for having me. It's been really fun. Thank you. Of course. <laughs> Here, uh, don't back out yet. Last time I did it for some reason, it like uh, um, it like lost it all just because the other person went off too quick. Oh no! Don't worry, I take out all my pauses.